That was beautiful, Marcia and Eric and Dick. So nice to have that kind of music on Shabbat, isn't it? So there are four very special Shabbatot that bring us to Pesach, to Passover. And if you were not paying attention, uh, March is tomorrow, and that means Passover is the next day. Not literally, but it feels that way, because March 1st is not only the first day of March, but it's the first day of Adar. And Adar is a very special month, because it says in the Talmud, when the month of Adar, of Adar um, occurs in our calendar, it says that gladness or joy, joy increases. Um, anybody know what's so great about the month of Adar? What happens in Adar before, before Pesach? Purim. <laughs> the holiday of Purim. It's my favorite holiday. And uh, if you didn't know when that was, it's March 14th, 15th, and 16th. And so um, this is the first of the four Shabbats that really gets you prepared for Purim and for Pesach. And this week, the Shabbat is called Shabbat Shekalim. Um, what do you think is unusual about the fact that we have a Shabbat called Shabbat Shekalim? What's a shekel? Money, right? So you're supposed to talk about, you know, I'm going to have everybody pull out their, you know, their iPod right now. Let me check your bank account or your stocks. And totally the opposite. It's very strange that you would have a Shabbat called Shabbat Shekalim based on the shekel. Um, and for, for us in modern Israel, a shekel is actually like a dollar. It's what they use. But in ancient Israel, the shekel was the measurement of silver. And on Shabbat Shekalim, which um, is the way that we know that it's tax season for the Jews, is that the half shekel is described in the book of Exodus during Shabbat Shekalim. And the half shekel is the contribution that each Israelite had to make. And so the tie between Shabbat Shekalim and this week's Torah portion is that um, tomorrow Sophie's going to be in the main sanctuary and she's going to be reading all about the details of building the sanctuary or the Mishkan, the traveling portable sanctuary in the desert. And the half shekel that's mentioned in Exodus for Shabbat Shekalim is the half shekel that every Israelite was to bring and it had two purposes. The first one was to say that they were sorry and asked for forgiveness for their other building project, which, ha which happened in Exodus. What did they build in Exodus? The golden calf. So it was like an I'm sorry half shekel, but it was also supposed to be the contribution to building the Mishkan, um, this portable sanctuary, and each Israelite was only supposed to bring half a shekel for that. And in Pikudei, in this week's Torah portion, it is um, full of architectural information, construction, and materials. Anybody here an architect? Or builder? We have two back there. Um, so this is probably your favorite portion, right? Will, Wendy, you guys, just, you probably read this every week, right? So it's a physical blueprint for the Mishkan in the desert. But after the Mishkan is built and it schlepped through the desert with us, this place for the physical presence of God to dwell, when the Israelites finally get to the promised land, Israel, they let go of the Mishkan and they build the temple in Jerusalem, which they thought would be something that would stand for eternity. It was destroyed twice. And after the second time it was destroyed and the Jews were dispersed, they started building the Mishkan again. And we're sitting in one. So when the Jews left Israel and they went into the diaspora, they established the Mishkan in the synagogue. And so all over the world, there is a Mishkan in each community for Jews to do the same thing that the Israelites were doing, which was in some way to, to welcome the presence of God. Like when we did the Lechadodi and we turned around to welcome the Shabbat bride into the community, there's a real sense of God supposed to, God's presence dwelling inside of the community of Israel. And the reason I think that's so beautiful is because 
the portable part of it stays with us, as if each one of us can be a little bit of a mishkan, like a mishkan katan, a little mishkan where the presence of God is. Um, and I also think it's interesting because the thing that we're supposed to bring to contribute, the half shekel, nobody's allowed to bring one shekel. And the commentators say, because people can't do things, people can't do holy work alone. You can work on yourself sometimes by yourself, but you can't really build a community, a holy community, by yourself. And so God says that each Israelite could only bring a half shekel. Um, and it reminded me, actually, of uh, a woman that I met with this week in the congregation who is not yet a member. And she's been coming to services, and she said to me, I looked at how much it cost to be a member for me and my family, and I can't afford it. I can literally only pay half. And so I'm embarrassed, and I just, I'm not going to join the temple. And I said, let me tell you something. It really doesn't matter because you're going to pay your half and somebody else is going to pay their whole and another half. And she said, who? I said, it doesn't matter, but somebody will. And that's why you should belong to the sacred community because there's other people who are going to help to support even the people who need to be a part of a sacred community. I was totally reminded of the fact that this week was Piku Day. And the Torah that's, that's in the Ark that is full of all of these details is also supposed to be a reflection of the reality of each one of our lives. And that reminded me of the story that uh, Rabbi Larry Kushner told about when he was in Sudbury, Massachusetts, in his congregation, and he brought all the preschool kids into uh, their sanctuary. And he said to them, behind that curtain is the ark, because they had a curtain in front of their ark. And he asked these three and four-year-olds, what do you think is so important behind the curtain? What's back there? And the first little boy raised his hand. And he said, I know. Kushner said, what? And he said, it's a brand new car. <laughs> the next little girl raised her hand and she was like a budding nihilist and she said, there's nothing there. <laughs> and then the third student raised his hand and he said, I know it's back there. It's a giant mirror. Kushner didn't say anything because that, that's what it's supposed to be. The Torah is supposed to be a giant mirror to us, a reflection of what it means to be holy ourselves, what it means to be in holy relationships with other human beings, with people in our family and with people in our community, and then what does it mean to keep building the Mishkan even if we're not in Israel. So we go to the blueprint, we go to the architectural um, uh, details of the Mishkan every single year and we pull them out. And when I was preparing the Torah for tomorrow and I opened it up, uh, I remembered the process that we went through when we really wanted to be a mirror to the Torah, when we actually scribed the Torah that's in that ark. And several years ago, the whole congregation had the opportunity to put themselves, literally put a letter of their own lives into the Torah. And so we commissioned a scribe to come and anybody who wanted to could come and contribute a letter of their own into the Torah. And that made me think about how much we have to contribute, how much we think we can't contribute and how much we need to contribute to living a holy life. And it was on the day when finally everybody had the chance to write their letter, their individual spark. And the Sofer told us that the souls of the entire Jewish people are represented in those letters. And it was also last week that the kindergartners came to visit all the rabbis. The kindergartners came into our offices and they had a whole list of questions for the rabbis. And so one group of kids came in and they asked me, the first question they asked me was about gl global warming. I was like, that's not in the Torah. I didn't even learn that in rabbinical school. Next one was about my dog. 
There was one about me being a rabbi, finally one I can answer. And then as they were leaving, I said, oh wait, what about this one? How many letters are there in the whole Torah? I was like, well, the first letter is Bet and the last letter is Lamed. And um, if you put those two together, it is the word heart and the Torah is our heart. And um, they said, but how many letters are in the Torah, Rabbi? <laughs> so um, I said, well, there's this, great, um, there's this great thought in Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah because each one of the letters is a soul. And in the Kabbalah, there are 600 souls, so there's 600 letters. And they said, are there 600,000 letters in the Torah? I said, no, I don't think so. And I, and, um, I said, you know, did you ask the other rabbis this question? <laughs> and they said, um, they did. And I said, well, what did the other rabbis say? They said, they told us the same thing. They didn't know either. <laughs> and uh, so I told them that we would get back to them and we would um, check it out. Um, and they, they asked me, how are you going to do that? I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to unscroll the whole Torah and I'm going to count every single letter. And they said, are you really going to do that? I said, I don't have the time, so I'm going to Google it, okay? So I Googled it because I didn't have all the time. And I found out that there were 304,805 letters in the Torah. Okay, so you can bring that up next time somebody asks you. Um, but after everybody had inscribed their letters in our Torah, and we thought about the fact that this was something that Jews had been doing and reading out of for 2,000 years, it came the time when all the letters were written for the Torah to actually be assembled. And what I didn't know at that time, those years ago, is the Torah is not written in one big, long parchment. It's written section by section. And the scribe came, the sofer came, on the day of Shavuot, where we were having confirmation. And he brought in parchment after parchment into the synagogue. And I said, well, the, the ceremony's tomorrow. What's going to happen? And he said, I'm going to stay up all night, and I'm going to sew the Torah. I said, where? He said, on the fifth floor. So he said, after confirmation is over, come upstairs. So at midnight, on a full moon, I went up onto the fifth floor, and there he was with a harpoon needle, which is what they use to sew the parchment of our living Torah. And the thread is the gut of a kosher animal. And he let me thread the harpoon needle and push it through and sew together the entire story. And I thought it was the most intense and amazing Shavuot I've ever experienced in my life. I never went to sleep that night. I just thought, wow, it's, it really is alive, this Torah. And then what made me feel like it was even more alive was the next Shabbat, we opened the ark, and there was the mirror, and we took it out, and a 13-year-old little girl became a woman and opened it up and took her own place in the Torah. And it's pretty cool because we do that every single week. You'll be doing it tomorrow. And so in a way, even though you're not going to take out a pen and write yourself in there, it's the same thing. You're putting yourself in, and then you become a reflection of the Torah into the world. Shabbat shalom.